Super Talk Mississippi media production. Specializing in Ford, Nissan, Chrysler, Dodge, Jeep, and Rams. CorinthAutoGroup.com and FordOfCorinth.com, where cars and happy drivers meet. Visit us now in person or online with the experience you deserve. I'm Steve Azar, and I'm on the other side of the microphone, meaning I'm asking the questions this time, and oh, have mercy for the airwaves. I spent 20 years in Music City, wrote and made some hits, traveled the world, and then moved my family back to the birthplace of American music and where the magnolia trees prosper. And now every time I put my feet on Mississippi soil, when I'm off the road, well, I'm at peace. On this show, it's all about hearing the stories straight from the mouths of the friends I've made along the way, their journey to success. Heck, there might be someone on, I don't even know, but you know how us Mississippi types are. We tend to take well to new company. In a Mississippi Minute, all 60 of them. I'm Steve Azar. It's just like that muddy river moving slow. Ain't no worries, it's how life goes. In a Mississippi Minute. That's right. My guest today on In a Mississippi Minute is a true fighter, meaning I'm not getting in a street brawl with him. Uh, I can promise you that. But seriously, in the world of art, he is a true Mississippi gem, a singer-songwriter that is like no other and has just been honored with his own day in Mississippi. Please welcome a real storyteller, Paul Thorne. Hey, hey, Paul, what's up? Hey, Steve, how are you doing today? I'm good, I'm good. Are you in Tupelo? I am. I'm actually uh, at home today. I've been, uh, I vacuumed the floor, I've <laughs> done the dishes, and I'm doing some laundry, trying to be a humble servant. I love it. Yes, that's a, I call that mule duty, and I know better not to do it. I'm, I'm a big sweeper, so I wake up in the morning, and I hit, I grab the broom, I don't know what it is, but I don't like to see stuff on my floors, and so uh, I'm, I've yeah. done. I already done that myself. <laughs> do you work? Do you, do you walk around the house barefoot, or you wear flip flops? I do both. I'm looking at my flip flops right now as I interview you, but I'm barefoot. Well, I I, have, I, I can't go without something on my feet. I, the, the bottom of my feet is is like a baby's face. <laughs> Mine or not? Mine. Uh, you know, my wife says she doesn't like to look at my feet, so maybe that's that's something we don't need. We're disgusting our listeners right now. Well, <laughs> you've got pretty feet and I don't. I think we're drawing them in. I don't think we're disgusting them. We're we're drawing them in is what we're doing. I think you're right. So, uh I'm excited to talk to you. First of all, I want to talk to you about uh the thrill you just received your own day in Mississippi. It's been long overdue. I received mine years ago, and I left that night and wrote my song Indianola, which ended up being the title track for one of my records on the way home. Well, I didn't write a song on the way home, uh but I did go in there and they gave me a, some kind of a, you know, certificates giving me a day and uh you know, it's kind of like going through a it's kind of like going through a cattle barn where they run <laughs> they push the cow out in front of everybody and they look at the cow for a few minutes and then they hit it with a zap stick and it goes out and you never see it again. <laughs> it's kind of like that. It's like I, know. I remember, and I mean that in a good way. No, you know, know. You know they, know, they, you know they, they made me a presentation. You know, but they got, but they got a lot going on. There. They're, they're making laws and, yeah. and doing all that, and, and it, they, but it was super nice, man. And I don't take it lightly. It was a, it was a nice honor, 
and uh, you know, it's something I can tell my grandkids about someday. You know, and, well, it's our get out of jail free card for that day. I mean, I'm excited. I mean, I always want to. I tell you what, I'm not making this up. Just yesterday, I was driving home. Me and my daughter, she's 14, and I rolled through a stop sign. <laughs> I, I slowed down, but I rolled through it. The blue lights, come on! And so I pulled over. <laughs> and I don't know if getting the day has anything to do with it, but the the police officer. He had a real stern look on his face, and he I gave him my license, and he looked at him, and then all of a sudden he just smiled at me, and he yeah. said, slow it down and stop, and he didn't give me a ticket. So <laughs> I don't know if that's coincidental or if he, I don't know why, but it could be because I had a day. I don't know. Hey, listen, listen, that the word is out. And so, or he's a big fan. Listen, there's nothing worse than having, I had a guy in Nashville stop me who said, you don't understand. I am the biggest waiting on Joe fan. I love that song. I can't tell you how much I loved it. And da 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 the video, you and Morgan yeah. Freeman. And then he goes, but I got to give you a ticket. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Oh, I got a ticket. I said, if I sing you a line or two and it didn't work. So, so I want to talk about your early years. You grew up uh, Pentecostal church, right? Uh, yeah, it's a Pentecostal type. But the specific denomination was Church of God of Prophecy. Okay, and this and your dad was all was your dad a, a preacher? Yes, he was a pastor. My dad uh, just retired at the age of seventy five from preaching. He's been preaching since he was fourteen years old. This is where the storytelling comes from. A lot of it from me because he has to he has to be a wonderful storyteller to convey the good word yeah. and and keep it's people's hard. attention. It's hard being a pastor. It's a lot easier being an evangelist where you go to a different church every night and you can kind of do the same set. It's kind of like when you're touring, singing, you know, you can do that same set every night if you do it in a different city in front of a bunch of different people. But the preacher and the pastor doesn't have that luxury because he has to come up with something fresh, uh, informative, spiritual, and above all else, in my opinion, has to be entertaining. Right. And uh, that's a hard task for anybody to do in front of the same people every single week right and, uh it's yeah and so i have a lot of admiration for anybody that can pastor and especially the ones that stay at the same church for like 20 years i don't know how they do it you know when you got a group of people in a church you got the same group of characters in the church that you do out in the real world there's people that are real sweet and loving and patient there's people that are complete jerks right they're all members of the church and you got to juggle them you got to pacify them (laughs) and you got to keep them all right in the same ship and i mean that's a challenge you know you think about it you just made a good point i mean he although he can his content uh is different for his sermons uh although the centerpiece is always steadfast the interesting part is think about us playing the same gig every week at the same place for the same people and that would be that would be difficult you know attendance would dwindle yeah (laughs) you're right you're right we would i love it i love it it would dwindle but now yeah it's like picking up it's like when you pick up trying to pick up a woman in a bar you might have a great line like if if i could be a tear rolling down your cheek and die on your lips my life would be complete (laughs) you could say that and charge a you could and charm a woman you know yeah but the next night you got to go to a different club and find a new girl that ain't heard it before. No, you got to you know find I mean? a new girl. Exactly right. Exactly. Man, I wouldn't even know what to do anymore. I've been married so long. How long have you been married? I've been married 18 years. That's long enough to know that you're not allowed to even think about that anymore. <laughs> well, 
Well, I know, but you know how the devil is. Yeah, I know. He's to... he he when you're when you're trying to do right, that's when he hits the hardest. Dude, don't when let the devil you, ride, right? Don't let the devil ride. Yeah, when he's got you, he don't bother you. But when you're trying to do right. That's when he throws them darts, and he yeah. knows how to throw them. He lays down the gauntlet. I love it. We're talking yeah. to Paul Thorne, Mississippi, true treasure, uh, really incredible uh, recording artist, singer, songwriter. has been doing it a long time, doing it the right way. Uh, and, uh, I, Paul, I've admired you from afar for so many years, and I can't believe you and I haven't connected, uh, And but I feel like there's always been a connection, and I appreciate you taking the time. Yeah. It's really cool, man, really cool. I'm excited about your new project go ahead i feel the same way man it's like me and you have a lot in common one of the things we have in common is nashville chewed us both up and spit us out <laughs> it was <laughs> you know as i look back now i'm rejoicing because of that at the time i felt rejected but now i feel like i've been set free no I'm, no listen listen here let me let me tell you. well first of all the word is that you know i decided to leave and now they're saying i turned my back on nashville and i'm going like man i didn't turn my back on nashville i went home now i'm grateful for nashville because i was able to have hits there but but i'm yeah. but but listen i had one foot always in nashville and one foot always in mississippi and particularly the delta where i grew up it was a juggling act like your dad and and at church dealing with all the personalities i had a yeah. juggling act of and i i don't know if you went through this while you were there of trying to to write and fit in but yet keep mississippi at heart and it was a difficult thing because we come from this place like no other and and it's just hard to explain but you and i both know the explanation and people live in mississippi know it but man it's a you're trapped in this incredible beautiful thing called mississippi and when you are you know sometimes it makes going in and and going out and venturing out and trying to fit into this sort of massive appeal you know what i mean you know what i'm saying i do put it in layman's terms do that they, for me they tried they tried to make you something you were not yeah it never worked for me i don't know about you but i i did find it I did find that yeah. place, and I learned how to make my own music and record my own music and make sure I was playing. I found a formula where I would use me and some of my guys, and then I'd grab one guy that would be playing on everybody's record. You know, just one. And yeah. and, and it would – and then, hey, look, my first hits came from a, a garage with a band from Tasmania, Australia. Uh, my producer was Rafe Van Hoy, who had m so many great hits. He wrote for What's Forever For when he was 17 years old. He was married to Tanya's wife, who had this band. And then they were, like, living in the house. And then we would record at midnight just about every night during the day, late night. And uh, and that's when we had it. Rafe was great to me because he was allowing me to have that formula and helping me find it. Rather than going in a, in a session with guys that were going to somebody else's session later and you know what I mean, and just the music do, didn't it didn't fit the songs. Yeah, the, and plus the, a lot of those musicians, as good as they are, they're not inspired. They're bored out of their mind. They're, they're reading the chart. Yeah, they just want to get out of there. You know what I mean? Right. And, and I like so many of them. I've, I've become friends yeah. with so many. But like a lot of the guitar players go, Steve, why are we replaying this when you've already played it? But when I'm with the big producer, you know, on a big label. I'm like stuck, you know. So yep. anyway, I eventually got unstuck and made and made my mind up that it was going to be Mississippi. We're talking to the great Paul Thorne. I'm Steve Azar. You are in a Mississippi minute. We're going to be right back. Ooh, I don't like half the folks I love. Ooh, that's it. 
We are number one. Head to head with Matt Wyatt and Richard Cross. Hey, how you doing? Yeah, what's going on, guys? Big, big fan of both of you guys. Weekday afternoons, 3 to 6, on Super Talk Mississippi. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. My daddy had a Cadillac, my uncle drove a Ford. One was Satan's angel and one worked for the Lord. They had some heart and wisdom, they both became my teachers. I was a young disciple of pimps and preachers. Hey, I'm Steve Azar. You are inside a Mississippi Minute, all 60 of them. I am with a fellow brethren, Mississippian incredible singer-songwriter. He has a great new record out, and people are raving about it all over. Paul's record is Don't Let the Devil Ride. We are with Paul Thorne, and I want to talk about the inspiration behind the title track. As a songwriter, you know, this is the big thrill for me. I still get a kick out of knowing where the songs come from, even as a guy that does it. Let's talk about the the title track, Paul. Yeah, the, the title track, Don't Let the Devil Ride, is sort of a standard in a lot of the, uh, you know, local black churches when I was growing up. You know, my dad was, uh, you know, a Pentecostal preacher, and we basically had a white church. It was just mostly white people, but we would go visit the black churches and sing with them, and that was Don't Let the Devil Ride was a congregational song. I was drawn to that song when we was picking songs for this record. It's kind of saying what my papa said in a different way. He said, when the birds of temptation fly around your head, don't let them build a nest in your hair. And what he means <laughs> right. by that is um, don't flirt with the devil because he, if you let him ride, he's going to want to drive. And once you start driving, then you're on the highway to hell. And, I uh, love it. I love that. I love that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, and the, and the version, there's so many versions of that song. And, I, and uh, the, the version I sort of uh, emulated was uh, a version that Aaron Neville did that I liked. I heard a whole bunch of versions and ways of doing it, but the map of how we did it was from a, 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 an Aaron Neville version. Right. I love, I love the Neville brothers. I used to go see him in New Orleans as a kid my, when my, my brother was uh, in med school there and sisters lived there. And I was at Delta State and I drive all through the night, knock on their door at six in the morning. And uh, yeah. then that night go to uh, Tipitino's and see the Neville's, you know, it was yeah. just, it was awesome. You know, before we go any further, it's, it's, it's almost uncanny the things we have in common because I did this gospel record, you know, with the Blind Boys of Alabama, right. and it, we you know I, I recorded here at these at these historical places, and then I found out you did something similar. You did a you did this thing with with BB King's band, and I checked that out. What we did is not exactly the same, but it is the same. If you know what I'm saying. Well, you have a documentary coming out, and so do I. Mine's coming out in the summer. So you're right. I didn't. I had when I moved back. I started playing more blues festivals. You know, we I co-founded the Mighty Mississippi Music Festival, which I need to get you to come play. And also, yeah. uh, we well, it just started happening that I was back to doing what I was doing before I left twenty years before, except. I hope I was a lot better, and I'd gone through all the trials and errors of, of my ways and mistakes and, and some victories, and I, and I was back to, like, ground zero again, but like I said, I was more prepared. I don't know what happened, but then, like, it was Elvis, one of Elvis's guys who was the muscle, original Muscle Shows guy, David Briggs. It was yeah. a lot of BB's guys, one of Little Milton's. Uh, and it just, we got together and we made, we turned Club Ebony into a recording studio and, 
and we documented it all. And you guys similar to that? Yeah, we we, we did the exact same thing. We, you know, I got I, mean, I have the Blind Boys of Alabama, the McCrary Sisters, the uh, Bonnie Bishop, the Preservation Hall Jazz Band. All those people got involved and played on my record, and they filmed it. It's coming out in May. I just thought it was a, crazy. an odd coincidence. It was what's that? It's crazy, actually. Yeah, it's, we both it is. It's like it's like it's almost like these shows should be on like a double feature. Or yeah, we should do it. We know what we should do is we should probably plan a venue where we could do a double showing. I mean, we'd have to serve people some cocktails or something to keep them up, but uh, yeah. because it'd be too. Because yours is a feature documentary as well, right? It is. It is. It's a doc, it's a documentary. Uh, it's a thirty minute documentary followed by a sixty minute concert. It's a, it starts with the documentary and ends with the concert. Yes. Okay, that's awesome. And ours is a literally an eighty four or five minute film. And what I've been doing uh-huh. is basically showing scenes from it and been doing a lot of these sort of acoustic runs. Now the band's yeah. starting to play, but our band is big and it's heavy. And I mean heavy. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's nine of us on the road and you, you know what I'm talking about. It's it gets expensive and, and people have yeah, to it does. So we're hoping that we're hoping that what's going to happen is that the film's going to sort of set a fire. We've already got like 15, 20 date, 15, 18 dates already under our belt and and coming there you up. Go. And so, well, but when the film, yeah, but, when the film comes out, you're, you'll there'll be more demand for your for what you're doing and for what I'm doing because more people be aware of it then. Right. Hey, listen, hey, Paul, we're talking to great Paul Thorne uh, in Tupelo, Mississippi. I'm in my studio in Greenville, Mississippi, and we are talking Mississippi. You're in a Mississippi minute, and so Paul. Uh, let's talk about let's talk about more of this record. Uh, first yeah. of all, it's your highest debuted record, and you're dealing with a really cool company now. There are a lot of people are doing it. Isabel's doing it. Uh, Lucinda's doing it. Uh, uh, the Thirty Tiger deal, right? It's sort yeah. of a company that you have. You worked a lot with them before. Well, they do. well, you know, before let me explain. I've been a completely independent artist, right? For ever since the late '90s, I own everything. We got, you know, me. And, we hired uh, Thirty Tigers basically for distribution, right? But, but to, truth be told, the name of my record label is Perpetual Obscurity Records, <laughs> right? Which uh, we named it that because starting out we had no following, and we just <laughs> thought it'd be a funny way to to have make fun of ourselves, but. <laughs> But, but, yeah, working with 30 Tigers has been really good because, you know, honestly, there's not hardly any brick-and-mortar uh, music stores anymore. They're going away. And, and sadly, you know, it's not going to be long where CDs won't even exist. No, they're on and the way I, out because they're not car companies yeah. aren't putting them in cars anymore. So, there's no players in cars. But, but the point I was trying to get to is in today's world, if you can find a way to be an independent artist, and build your following by touring, that's going to be the new model, I believe. Well, that's another whole topic that I want to talk to you about yeah. because I feel yeah. like that you've laid that groundwork, and so have I, and that's why we're able to survive, I think, the the yeah. crazy times of all this change and streaming and all that. Yeah. That's another whole thing. Now, I want to talk about just cut by cut a l- little bit. I won't go forever okay. on this, but during this all session, right. I love this record. It's a great yeah. record. So our listeners, if you do stream or you still buy – um, and we're going to get into talking about vinyl later because I did the double vinyl record on mine. I don't know if you did it, but I want to talk about uh, all yeah. that in the next segment. So okay. come on, let's go. When, when we were looking for songs, uh, you always got to have a good, in my opinion, you need a good lead off songs. And, 
And this this whole record's taking you on a journey through the past, and it's kind of like uh, you're putting your suit on and you're putting your Sunday best clothes on and you're getting ready to go to church. And uh, this song has been done by so many old school gospels. Uh, right. To be honest, I don't even know who wrote the song. It's just a song I've heard all my life. It's a happy song about going to church. And uh, when you go to church, and, and, and besides, you know, going there to worship the Lord, one of the things that's great about church is you get to see people that you normally don't get to see. You know, like all week you're working, you're, you're on a hectic schedule. You don't get to say hi to your neighbors, but there's something really cool about going to a church and seeing your friends and getting to say, hey, man, what y'all, what y'all been doing? What's, what's going on? You know, it's, it's, a, it's a fellowship. It's a, it's, a, it's a call to bring everybody in and let's just love one another and let's, uh, let, you know, hug somebody and shake somebody's hand. It's just a good feeling in that song. It's because it's, it's all inclusive. He doesn't say, come on, so-and-so, let's go. It says, come on, let's go. It's for everybody. Everybody's welcome. It's a welcoming song that the listener can say, okay, I want to go. I'm coming. This record you made was songs that you picked that would fit this project. Uh, that's right. So that's what this whole record's about. You guys talked to PBS, and they came in, and they loved the idea, and that's how the doc got all started? Yeah, it is. It is. It, it was, uh, you know, you know where well, I have a management team, and you know how you do you pitch everything, and you know you're going to get rejected more than you're going to get accepted. I love rejection. Live, I love it. But you live the you live for the times that people get it and want to get involved, and so right. Uh, right. that's what happened. You know, it was a, it was sort of a, uh, it's a there's a lot of interesting facets to this record. You know how you know the the first six songs were cut at Sam Phillips' place in Memphis, and who we all know the history of that. Right. And then the second, then the second half of the record was cut at Fame and Muscle Shows with. And, you know, it had so many stories in it, and then we, and then we went down to New Orleans, and the, for, and we recorded Preservation Preservation Hall. And you know, when you're when you're pitching something for like a TV show or anything, I've learned that you need a story, and this had a story. It opened up some doors for us. I love it, I, I, and I've been reading about a lot of this stuff, and it says, "I love this. This had to come from you. We wanted to shine a light." on black gospel music coming primarily from the South in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. The music and sounds that influenced early R&B and soul music, rather than rehash standards, we look for the hidden gems and unique versions from smaller labels that were for the most part undiscovered. I love that. I think that that really, I think the world doesn't know Paul Thorne yet, uh, overall. And I think that you're gradually, gradually getting them. I think you're getting them uh, one show at a time, one night at a time, one day at a time, one week at a time. And I think that what's happening is uh, on your own terms, you're getting to do this. And I love that because I've been interviewing uh, some friends recently in the music business that are doing things as well on their own terms. And I just think that that's the only way for you, the only way for me. And we are with Paul Thorne. I'm Steve Azar. You're in a Mississippi Minute. I'm rambling on. We're going to be right back. It's easy.
easier than ever to hear Super Talk anywhere. Now you can get Super Talk Mississippi on Amazon Alexa devices. Just go to supertalk.fm slash Alexa to find out more. For news, politics, sports, and the good things happening in Mississippi, the conversation starts here. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. You got to move. Hey, I'm Steve Azar. We are on the downside of a Mississippi Minute, all 60 of them. I am with singer-songwriter, recording artist from Tupelo, Mississippi, world-known, has his own day in Mississippi now, Paul Thorne. Talking about your new record, but I want to talk about live, because with all the streaming stuff that's going on, I just saw that Spotify went up on the stock market for how many billions of dollars and which left the we talked about brick and mortar you mentioned it earlier how they're going away cds are going away vinyl's back in which is cool because we can charge more for vinyl because it's always been like a thing of art it's funny how the past comes back to to present uh but let's talk about live performance because that's what it's about you get your streaming numbers up in a market you get to go to a promoter a promoter goes oh you've got a thousand people or ten thousand people streaming we can sell a venue a certain size venue is that sort of y'all's model now that you is that the upside of of the streaming and how we've been sort of beat to heck with the uh with people not paying for it like they used to well the the first thing i think you really have to have you have to develop a a a good show uh, without a a good show you have nothing but the way we sort of did it early on is uh we started out with uh every time we go play somewhere well we do i do the obvious things like which i enjoy is after my shows i immediately go out i sign every cd i shake every hand i take a picture with anybody who wants to take a picture i let them know i appreciate them and early on we started out with a piece of paper where people would write their mailing uh their email down started with a mailing list and that built up really healthy and, you know, every time we would go back into that same city, we'd send those people an email, and they'd come, and they'd bring somebody. And then after, you know, when the Internet took over, you know, things like Facebook, all that kind of stuff, you know, people started getting involved in all that. And, you know, uh, I would get on there and invite them to my shows, and, uh, and when they would come out, I'd make it my number one mission to give them a show they can't forget. And they want to come see me again. And so let's say you play a small town, and maybe it's the first time you didn't have 50 people. But right. you come back next year, and you got 150. And you just keep building it. And and that's how I've done it, and that's how I continue to do it. You know, and um, you got to give them something that makes them want to come back. It's like you can open up a hamburger restaurant and have a grand opening and sell some hamburgers that first day, but if the hamburgers aren't really delicious... They're not gonna come back. I'm hungry now. Sell. You got me hungry. Yeah, they want you. You <laughs> gotta make them want to come back, and you gotta right. let them know that you care about them. You gotta show them you love them, and it's and you gotta make them feel like it's a. And it is to me. I'm not trying to be cliche or corny, but it really is like a family because so many people that I see at the shows, I see them the same people every year, I and I love that. Yeah. And, and it's impossible to remember everybody's names, but I never forget a face and. When I see people, it's just the way we've done it and the way that we're doing it, unless you're, you know, a mainstream artist like Carrie Underwood or somebody like that, 
you got to build your fan base every night. If you can, if you can do a show and gain two or three new fans a night that you shook their hand and, and had a moment with them, you got those people for life. They're not fickle. They're going to stay with you. And, you know, the perfect example of that is my, my buddy John Prine. You know, he, right. he, he's not a household name, but you can go anywhere in the country. He is in my house. His, <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. But you can, put a, you can put his name on any marquee and, you know, a couple thousand people will show up. And that's because he gave them something. You know, I, I've done a bunch of shows with John, and he'll, after the show, he, if some, somebody wants him to, you know, sign something or just give him, a, give him a little moment. I've seen him over and over. He'll do it. And that's why people love him. And he was a big, in, he was a big in, influence on me in that way about, so, well, you know, I don't have to tell you how John Prime makes no, me feel. No, 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 no. And, and, and I was really good friends. My One of my first offers, after all the no's, I had a zillion no's, one of my first yeses was to Al Bonetta. And then you have to know oh, Al. Oh, boy. I mean, oh boy, I mean, Al was so good to me. He was such a good guy, and he says, I'm going on vacation. And obviously, for people that don't know, Al Bonetta and John Prine were glued at the hip forever. Uh, Mm -hmm. Al handled the business side and was a great manager and just a wonderful soul, And which told me a lot about John, right? Because he must have been amazing, right? So I spent more time around... Uh, around Al, and of course he's passed, and uh, yeah. and I love this man, and I was such in a hurry after getting all those no's, Paul, that yeah. he left, and he goes, I'll be back in two weeks, don't do anything, we're going to do the deal, and I had already signed by the time, because <laughs> I started, for the first time in my life, started getting offers, and I was like, man, whoever, I'm not waiting, I've been waiting 20 years, I'm not waiting another yeah. day, <laughs> much yeah. less two weeks, but let's talk about jo- you and John, so y'all played a lot of shows together. Oh, uh, yeah. I love that. My my perfect connection was with Bob Seeger. When I got the call to yep. go tour at Bob and then Bob chose me to stay out with him for, you know, almost 50 something shows. That was a yeah. perfect fit for me because I got to really, you know, it was I love the live show with the full band, but I also like to do it solo a lot and and break it down to nothing, which is what you do a lot and which yep. is what John does a lot. Uh, I have to ask you a question. So, growing up with, uh, growing up around, how far did you grow up from Elvis's uh, original home? Uh fifteen minute drive. Yeah, I still live fifteen minutes from the Elvis birthplace. Yep, I, I live actually te- technically I live just outside of Tupelo in a little community called Plantersville. You have yep. good basketball there in Plantersville. To be honest, uh, Steve, I don't follow basketball. Boxing is my my sport. That's what I like. Are you still training a little bit? Is that how you stay in shape? Because you're in great shape. Not really to toot my horn, but a, 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 a Golden Glove boxer. That's that's a amateur three round fight. Okay, I mean, so you I, weren't a gold. You were at one point, right? You became well, a professional I started, fighter. I, yeah, I started out as a Golden Glove fighter, but I turned professional, and at the height of whatever I accomplished, I I was uh, 29 in the world in my weight class, and. And wow. the, the fight I'm most known for is when I fought in 1988 on television. I fought the great Roberto Duran. Have you heard of him? Of course I know. That's amazing. You look back in your life and you're in the ring with Roberto Duran. It's almost like a Forrest Gump thing because when <laughs> I was a little kid, I, I became fascinated by boxing. And I had a pit, I had a poster that I tore out of a magazine of Roberto Duran, my one of my fistic heroes, and I just thumbtacked it on the wall, 
And years later when I started boxing and I got, you know, I started winning a lot and I was beating really good quality fighters. I was beating them, and which got me into the ratings. And then, the, and then Duran, uh, my manager, finagled us into getting a, a fight with Duran. And uh, it wow. was like the most, it was like the most surreal thing. The fighters I beat and could beat, they were good. Don't they were not bums. But when I went in the ring with Duran, it gave me a better understanding of what the good difference between being good and being great is. You know, you can have a. I'll, I'll try to make a comparison. Even though I don't know nothing about basketball. Uh, you know, there's a lot of great basketball players, but there's only a few Michael Jordans. And when when I went in the ring and started fighting with Duran, the thing he was known for was his punching power, which, you know, to be honest, lots of guys have punching power. There's a guy in a there's guys in bars that have punching power, but what made him special and what made him unique from my perspective was he was incredibly hard to hit. His defense and ability to make you miss was otherworldly. It was like it was like that movie The Matrix, but it was real. Yeah. Wow. You know, it was like that. And, you know, if <laughs> I was throwing, you know, punches. I was throwing all these punches, but I was hitting the air, man. Right. The what makes anybody great in any sport and this is where he had the advantage over me. The great ones have the ability to relax under extreme pressure. And in a high-stress situ- high situation where your body's filled with fear, like boxing, he was able to relax and stick to his game plan. I was younger, greener, you know, just didn't have the experience or the belief in myself that he had. I can't explain it. It was just like... I don't, I don't, you'd have to be in there is all I can say, you know. Well, let me ask you this. So were you playing music at the same time? At the time that I fought Duran, I was, I was, you know, I was a boxer, slash, I worked in a furniture factory, slash, I had a gig two nights a week playing my acoustic guitar in a pizza restaurant, slash, I was in the National (laughs) Guard, and, uh, you know, all this stuff was going on at the same time, slash, I had a writing contract with rick hall and fame wow i love that i love gotten to know so many guys I just interviewed norbert putnam as well so uh just hearing the stories at rick hall so i love that and you, uh, you you know what it is it's it's a guy that gets in our business how hard you have to work you no matter how tired you are at the end of a show you want to see your fans you want to talk to them no matter what you get it and that's what that's what it's all about okay speaking of getting yeah. it mississippi being the birthplace of american music and i know that uh you and i celebrate that all the time play dj you get give us elvis presley or robert johnson oh i'd say elvis see i pick <laughs> elvis because robert sold his soul to the devil Elvis gave his soul to Jesus. Praise the Lord. Okay, all right. We're going to listen to Elvis Presley. You're with Paul Thorne. I'm Steve Azar. You're in a Mississippi Minute. Hang on. You're the devil in disguise. Oh, yes, you are. Devil in disguise. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.